Hey church, Pastor Adam here, and I want to say thank you so much for stopping by to join us for Church Online today. And, and while we are super stoked that you're hanging out with us this morning, we do want to remind you that really this is just is supplemental. And man, it just cannot replace the local church in your life. And so look, we hope that you are encouraged and, and challenged and shaped by today's message that's being preached. Uh, but, but also, we don't want to be uh, your substitute. Uh, for the local church body that you should be involved in. We really do believe that the local church is God's plan A in reaching the world. So with that being said, please come hang out with us in person uh, one Sunday. If you're in Paducah in the area, come hang out with us to get some rest or find a local Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching church that you can get plugged in and connected to. Uh, Jesus loves the church and and we love Jesus and, and we believe that we can better serve uh, Jesus, if we love his church well. So, welcome to rest. Amen. Good morning, church. How many of you glad to be in the Lord's house today? All right. I'm glad to see my Baptist and Church of Christ friends have showed up. Um, I've drove over a thousand miles this week. Um, and in that, I've got to experience multiple snowstorms, um, multiple treacherous roads. In fact, uh, Thursday morning, uh, I actually cut my uh, trip a day short of what it was supposed to be. I woke up Thursday morning, and I leave out of Novi, Michigan, and start driving home. And the hour and a half that um, I drove from Novi to south of Toledo, Ohio, was some of the most treacherous roads that I have ever had the experience of driving in my life. Um, there was a couple moments where I thought, you know, a semi was about to take me out. Um, you know, nonetheless, uh, that, that wasn't the worst thing that happened to me this week. I get home, you know, I've, I've done all of this travel. I've, I've went from here, drove through the snow, got to Michigan, did the week in Michigan, experienced negative temperatures. Um, right now in Michigan, it's a different kind of cold. Um, one morning I woke up to go out to my truck, it was negative five, and that just doesn't leave your body, um, no matter how much you try. But I, I, I get home. And I wake up early Friday morning through my typical natural routine. I wake up before anyone else does. I spend my time alone with the Lord. And uh, I leave the house. I get to work. I get to the plant in Princeton. And I pull to the parking space closest to our visitor parking, which is also closest to our sidewalk. And we have a, about a hundred yard sidewalk uphill to get to uh, our offices. And as I back in and I park, I notice one of the guys who works on the floor is walking very, very gingerly, just, you know, putting like this. And I just think to myself, dude, come on, let's go pick it up. You just don't want to go to work. Let's go. You're late. You're already behind the clock. Time to go. You know, I knew what time it was. And so I get out of my truck and um, I, this 
in this season of my life, I'm carrying two backpacks with me to work. I carry one backpack that has my laptop, my iPad, my work notebook, my Jabra speaker for all the four million conference calls I do a day, all the different things that are in this one backpack. And then in the other backpack, believe it or not, are my workout clothes. Um, and I've got my workout clothes in my right backpack on my right shoulder and my work backpack on my left shoulder. And I begin to walk and there is probably from me to the crazy guy wearing the green G hat um, from the uh, um, sidewalk. And I walk over to there and sure enough, right before I step up on the platform, soup. And I'm not talking like a, like this. I'm talking a straight sideways, parallel to the ground drop. Lucky for me, I am carrying two backpacks. In fact, I land so hard on the concrete that I rip my brand new backpack. I dent significantly a metal canteen. That's not a rat, that's our, uh, our pipes. Welcome to the old church. Um, I land on it and dent the canteen. And I remember I'm laying there in the middle of the parking lot, four degrees, going, thank you, Lord. And I get up, I dust myself off, I go into my office. And I, I, at the moment, because it's pitch black outside, I don't understand how bad the fall actually was. I just know that I fell. And I get into my office and start unpacking. And I notice the canteen is significantly dented. I notice my backpack is ripped. And you know what's funny is I looked at that situation and I just went, man, God, you restored me through a backpack. Because I know had I not had that backpack on, I would have probably broke a few bones, potentially would have had to go to the hospital, all over what we consequently went out and looked at when we added salt in the parking lot, because that had been a lost time accident, and my plant has over a thousand days without a lost time accident, something we're very proud of. So we go out and we inspect when daylight comes, and it's a patch of black ice that big. I was so thankful that he restored me through a backpack. And today, we come to this place in the scriptures in Psalm 23, verse three, that we see he restores me. And as we open up uh, Psalm 23, every week, we wanna keep it real. We want you to remember what is going on here. Most people remember Psalm 23, they, they know about it. However, we make this grave mistake when we approach it because we tend to make Psalm 23 about us. We tend to make it about us. However, what we know, what we have come to know is Psalm 23 is about what, church? The shepherd. And all of the interaction, all of the verbiage, all of the language is in relation to the sheep according to the shepherd. It's all about what the shepherd does. Now, while we'll find the words me, my, I within the text, the writer is solely identifying according to their position with the shepherd. And this week, we find ourselves kind of closing out this image This image that the first three verses have been working to complete. We see that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He leads me beside quiet or still waters. He restores, or, or, or he takes me to pass, a green pass, pass as we talked about last week, that, that show foliage, that shows life, it's substance, it's God's provision. It's not a golf green, but it's a place for us to graze and to be filled with food. And then we come to complete this. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. As we've said the last few weeks, this is probably one of the best known chapters in all of scripture. Might not be the most well-known verse, but the best known chapter, the most recited chapter. Chances are one of you in here have your grandma's crochet of Psalm 23 hanging on a wall inside a picture frame. However, it's probably the worst translated chapter in the Bible. And so keeping that in mind this morning, uh, we're going to break down this particular verse in the most literal way that we can as we transliterate from the Hebrew into English. And we're going to find, even from what I'm going to read for you on this most literal translation, we're going to find that there is some nuance inside of what's happening as we translate from Hebrew into English that kind of complicates the whole process. So here it is, my life he restores. He leads me in right or righteous paths for the sake of his name. So line A, he restores my life. Let's deal with what's going on here in the Hebrew. The Hebrew word that we find here is nefesh. Say nefesh. This particular word mean, can be translated in multiple different ways. And most of us, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a King Jimmy church, um, King James. And we, and we recited this particular uh, passage from the King James. And it, we, we recited, he, re, he, he, he restores my, my soul, right? That's probably what you grew up. And if you're reading the NIV today, you probably see he restores my life. But none of them are incorrect. None of them are incorrect. But it's quite deeper than what the English lets on to what's going on here in this phrasing. This particular word, nefesh, it appears 753 times in the Old Testament. 753 times. With the following words being transliterated from nefesh to these words in English. Here they are, soul, life, personal mind, um, heart, creature, desire, man, themselves, body, himself, yourself, dead, will, any appetite. Those are all different renderings that can be inferred when we see the word nefesh. And so that explains why is it so difficult for us to transliterate. What is the Hebrew writer trying to convey to us? 
In the Hebrew, it is trying to convey that we are restored holistically. The whole self. That we are not characterized by our life. We are not characterized solely by our body. We are not characterized solely by our spirit. We're not characterized solely by our emotions. We're not solely characterized by our desire. But each and every one of those things are us. Right? Like if you were to describe me, and you were to walk up to my wife and be like, what does Cody love? Probably on the cue, and like if we were playing, you know, like Family Feud, and you're trying to guess the, the top things that show up on Cody's board, she would be like, pizza. You know, like they say, a fat kid loves cake. I love pizza more than I love cake. And right now I'm dieting and it's terrible. But anyways, so she, she would say, the cake, and they would all point up and be like, ding, ding, ding. Everybody would do like that. But that's, that's part of the essence of me, right? The same way as if you were to describe my body. If she was to say, well, well what, what, what goes on with Cody's body? She would say, well, he has arthritis like a 70-year-old in his right knee from all the dumb things he did to his body growing up. Or she could say he has receding hairline. Right, right. Those are, those are part of who I am. But then she was like, to describe, well, tell, tell me about him. She could honestly say he is deeply, madly in love with me. He is deeply and madly in love with his kids. He is deeply and madly in love with his church. And all of those are part of who I am. That is the holistic view. And so when we approach the scriptures here, we could actually render what's being said here. It is my whole life that is restored. Isn't that awesome? The shepherd doesn't just restore an aspect of us. He restores our whole life. If we submit our life to him, he has the ability to give us not just a new perspective, but a new joy, a new, a new being, a new ethos about everything that we are that is the shepherd and if we take this this concept this idea and we go back to the pasture there's something for us to wrestle with as we look at ourselves as sheep as we look at him as the shepherd there's this there's this real life example of lives being restored of, of holistic being um, restored and last week I showed you this this funny video of this uh, um, of this sheep, and if you weren't here uh, last last week, was one of my top ten sermons of all time. Um, but I showed this video of this lamb who uh, finds itself in a hole, and they go rescue the lamb from the hole. And uh, I was talking about, you know, like we all find ourselves in a hole every now and then. We're like, dear Lord, I promise I'll never do anything dumb again. Lord, I'll never be with that bully again. And then, you know, we, we get out of the hole. And we're like, God, I'll let you. Leave me wherever you want. Nope. And then, boop, right back in the hole he goes. It was hilarious, right? Because that's us. That, that's the deals we make with God. And I pointed that out because sheep find themselves in these constant, most ridiculous, preposterous dilemmas like us. And one such example is a situation called cast down. I don't know if you've ever heard of cast down before, 
But um, the best way to depict cast down is that uh, a, a sheep will be out in the pasture. And they'll find this small depression somewhere out in the pasture. Or they'll have ran away and they'll find this depression somewhere out in um, the ground. And they will lay down. It'll be comfortable. But as they lay down and they start to move, they'll find themselves positioned in the hole in such a way that their center of gravity gets them stuck. It's an old English shepherd's term where the sheep is turned over on its back and cannot get up again. And this is a, this is a, very precarious situation. It's a pathetic sight, right? You know, feet up in the air. And, and, and the lamb will, will cry for help. And it'll begin to flail its legs. And as it flails its legs, it can't seemingly get unstuck from the position, from the crevice that it is stuck in. It can't seemingly get himself out of that situation. And if the owner does not arrive soon enough, if the shepherd doesn't um, come find the sheep uh, uh, soon enough, it can lead to death. Because what happens in the first stomach of the sheep gas begins to build. And as that gas begins to build, it begins to cut circulation off to the sheep's legs. Eventually, leading to its demise. In fact, it can happen on a sunny, hot day. It can happen in a matter of hours. The sheep can be cast down and die. On a cold day, it can survive a few days. But this is one of the very first things that comes to the shepherd's mind every night when he counts the sheep. When he counts the sheep and one's missing, his first instinct is not always one has ran away. But one is stuck somewhere out in the field with his feet up in the air flailing about, not able to get himself or herself over to where they can use their legs and stand up. There's multiple different ways that this can occur for the sheep. In fact, one of the most common ways that it can happen for the sheep isn't so much that it finds itself in this deep depression to where it gets stuck, but that the wool on the sheep becomes so enormous, so large, that it lays on its back and it creates kind of this flat plateau and it has all this stuff inside of its wool. It has sticks, it has manure, If you've been around sheep before, it has manure, it has manure, and it has dirt, it has debris, it has all of these things that keep it fixed on its back. And what you're seeing here is, is you've probably seen this photo before, and I'm going to begin to describe it, and you're going to remember it, but this dude right here, his name's Shrek, okay? Shrek is from Northern Ireland, where he ran away for six years. They thought he was dead. But for six years, he never went to the shear. He never had his wool cut back. And they found Shrek in a cave one day. 
and they brought him back to his owner. And, and it was such an amazing thing. Like, oh my gosh, here is this sheep who's ran away. And now he's been restored. But more importantly, look at this dude's hair. I mean, the 70s has nothing on that fro. His hair is bawling. But that shows you how big and how matted that they can be and how easy it could be for them to be stuck on their back. But that's not the only thing. A shepherd can find another sheep being cast down for just being simply too fat. You know, like, sheep aren't the most agile things anyways. But when they get obese, it's really, really easy for them to be laying on their side and to kind of move and situate themselves and all that blubber just kind of go boop. And for them to find themselves on their back, not even necessarily in a depression, but because they're not agile, they can't uh, get over. Some of you right now are like, that's me in my bed every day. But in the situation where the wool is too long, the shepherd will go out, he'll look everywhere. He'll, he'll, he'll search high and low to find the sheep. And what he'll do is he'll, he'll put the sheep back on his feet and he'll take him back home. And he'll begin to lay him down and to begin to shear him or her. And, and this is not a pleasant process for the sheep nor the shepherd. To begin the process of working out all the sticks, all the manure, and to cut it back. And why does he do it immediately? He does it immediately because if he can remove all the wool that's creating the cast position from ever occurring, he doesn't have to worry about him being cast on his back again. And so the shepherd brings him back and he he begins to remove this wool. He begins to take care of him so that that particular instance won't occur again. I want you to hold on to that thought. I want you to keep that thought as we move on. Isn't this the perfect picture of a life being restored? To be stuck out in a meadow on your back in what appears to be a season of God's provision. What appears to be in the field of his substance. What appears to be the place you want to hang out and read a book. But it is that very place that the sheep finds himself cast on his back at the mercy of the shepherd finding him just in the nick of time so that he doesn't die from being stuck on his back. Isn't this the perfect picture of a life being restored? At the brink of death, the shepherd comes and finds the sheep. Like us, we have a God who restores us. He restores us from ourselves. He refreshes us from the situations we find ourselves in. There are seasons, and you guys have went through them, man, where you had so much wool that the shepherd had to come kick you over, and he had to take you back home, and he had to shear you. There are seasons where you were fat, and he had to put you on a diet. 
Aren't you glad that we have a God who holistically restores us from ourselves? Verse 3, the second part, B. He leads me in righteous paths or right paths. We have to be very careful when we approach this portion of the psalm. Because what tends to happen if you grew up in a very dogmatic kind of Christian background is, is the preacher is now going to take this and he's going to rail at you for the next 20 minutes. And he's going to preach on sin and how he's against it. Right? He's going to tell you, God's called you to live a righteous life. I don't need to say that because that is a fact. He has called all of us to live a righteous life. However, that is not the totality of what's being communicated here. This is not, the psalm's purpose is not to ponder or, or to make a particular doctrinal statement because let's be honest, sheep are not troubled with ethical dilemmas. No, they're not out in there like, hope we do the right thing. The Hebrew phrase translated straight or righteous pass is actually very complex when we think about this. In fact, this comes from the, the, um, the, the Talmud, which is essentially the uh, Hebrew oral Torah. And, and it's kind of the teachings that lead the Hebrew people. And, and this particular concept that's being here, what is trying to be communicated is this. And I want you to wrap your mind around it. Roundabout ways that end up in the right direction. Roundabout ways that end up in the right direction. Walking with God is, is not a straight path. It is more like a winding road than a straight line, right? Like, like last week, you know, Russ and Jody and I were talking at the end of service, and we kind of were, we were hinting at this, but we didn't say this. Is It's funny how you come out of a season where you're like, man, I've just been doing this winding road thing, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, oh yeah, God, that's what you were trying to teach me. Straight paths or righteous paths aren't always straight. They're not always easy. Our path to success is not always linear. It doesn't look like this. Sometimes God is doing this with us. Church, I want you to hold on to this. I want you to think about this because some of you are going through a season where you're getting your tail kicked. You're going through a season where you don't know if you really like your husband or wife. You love them, but you don't know if you like them. You're definitely sure you don't like your kids. You're you're absolutely certain your boss needs Jesus or a demon taken out of them. And you keep going in this season, in this seemingly desert going, God, why can't you show me the way? God, why can't you help me out? Here's what I want you to hear. God rarely uses shortcuts. God rarely uses shortcuts. In fact, if if we bury ourselves in the scriptures, if we get really technical about it, this is the story of God's people. We see God's people thrusted out of Egypt. 
And as they're thrusted out of Egypt, we we come to this very particular place in Exodus 13 where God essentially, Moses makes it known that God doesn't take them the shortest path out of Egypt to the promised land. In fact, he, he explicitly says in Exodus that they go around the land of the Philistines. They go around the land of the Philistines. Why do they go around the land of the Philistines? God, if you're the all-powerful God, why don't you take me right through the heart to the easiest path to get to the promised land? It's because he knew they were a people who were a bunch of slaves. They were not a nation ready for war. Slaves who just found their freedom don't always make really good soldiers. And God has made a promise to you. God has called you for something. He has called you to something. He has called you to break up with your sin. And you keep saying, God, why are you presenting me all of these challenges? Because our God is about taking us through the path, the roundabout ways that lead us in the right direction. Because our God is not a God who lets us take the shortcut. Very, very rarely. Very, very rarely. So if there's one thing I want you to wrestle with as we think about this straight path, as we think about how do we live righteously, how do, how do we do this, and you're going through a season, a tumultuous struggle, you're going through a season where, man, you're just like, oh, I want out of here, I want out of this hole. I want to say to you, don't waste this season. Don't waste this season. I know this isn't Joel Olstein. I'm not telling you to name it and claim it. I'm telling you to learn how to suffer well, to learn how to embrace where God has put you in this particular season. You need to begin to take a heart of humility and say, God, what are you trying to teach me? God, what are you trying to get me to open my eyes to see? God, give me the grace and the humility to be okay with suffering, to be okay as I am on my back, to be okay to be at the whipping post for a while are you willing to say God I am okay I am your humble servant God you don't have to take me on the shortcut I'll take the longest route as long as you are with me because a lot of us are crying God give me the shortcut God let me have the easiest path yeah yeah But you won't learn, you won't mature, you won't be a better husband, you won't be a better father, you won't be a better mother, you won't be a better wife, you won't be a better employee, you won't be a better boss, you won't be better unless you take the long way. So don't waste this season. Verse 3, part C. For the sake of his name. God uses roundabout ways because he wants it to be clear who gets the glory. He wants it to be clear as to who gets the glory. God hates arrogance. He absolutely despises arrogance. He he hates it because we don't have anything to be arrogant about. I mean, do critics give awards to the canvas? Is there a Pulitzer Prize for the ink? 
We never come to a, a magnificent brain surgery or open heart surgery. You know, Julie, when, when Ted had open heart surgery, you didn't walk in and say, thank you, scapula. Woo, scapula. No. It was the surgeon who was masterful. It was the painter who was masterful. It was the writer who was masterful. They are only tools, so they get no credit for the accomplishment. We are but mere tools, working out for his glory, to bring him glory, to lift high the name of Jesus. In the same way, the sheep are not celebrated when they come back from a long journey. It is the shepherd who is celebrated. It is he who leads me. It is he who makes me lie down. It is he who owns the pasture in which I graze. It is he who owns the quiet waters from which I take. It is he who restores my soul. God is the beginning and God is the end of all of our righteousness. He is the path. He is the one who blazes the trail. We merely but follow his lead. John Piper on this thought, on this mindset says this, the path of righteousness has his grace as the starting point for he leads me into it and his glory as the destination because his leading is for his name's sake. For his name's sake. You are here not by accident, but you are here for his name's sake. For some of us, we are sitting here today and you're in a season where it's hard for you to say for his name's sake on anything that is happening in your universe. It is madness. You are stuck on the, the spinny tube slide and you just keep doing this and you're like, man, when am I ever gonna get spit out? I'm dizzy, I'm tired. Man, oh my goodness. It's hard for you to say for his name's sake. Maybe you say, I'm being honest, I'm stuck on my back in the middle of the meadow with the sun shining down on me. I can't feel my legs, man. You are cast down in this season. So, like every problem, there is a root cause, there is a reason that we ended up here. So what is the root cause of why you find yourself cast down in this particular season? In, in, the, in the place that's supposed to give you substance. In the place that you're supposed to draw nourishment from. Why? What has happened? Maybe you have wool like Shrek. In the, in the scriptures, the wool is depicted as our old way of life. You know, you came home to Jesus for a season, Christ follower. You came running home to him. And he sheared you up all good. Man, you were, you were good. You were like, Jesus. But like a dog returning to its vomit. 
started picking back up all the dirt. That wool started growing because you weren't going to the shepherd. You weren't looking to the shepherd for your substance. You're looking at yourself. And, and as you were doing it, man, you just, you found yourself worse off, worse off, worse off than what you were before. I say to you today, let the shepherd take you to the shears. You, you have to be killing sin or sin will kill you. You have to be in an all-out eradication of the sin that is in your life or it will leave you in the field on your back. I said about a month ago, maybe it's a little bit more than a month ago, as I, I dealt with this particular concept, I said you need to begin to look at your life as if a roach problem. Your sin problem is a roach problem. And I asked the church, how many roaches are acceptable in your house? And the answer is resoundingly, what church? That's how many roaches you're okay with running across your dinner table while you're eating. So how much sin are you okay with having in your life as a Christ follower? Because I can tell you, if you are celebrating your sin, you are not bringing glory for his name's sake. You are tarnishing and diminishing the reputation of the good shepherd. And so is this season in your life, is God taking you in these roundabout ways because he's trying to get you to wake up and say, come home, little sheep. Let me shear away the sin once again. Let me shear away the sin once again. Maybe you find yourself in this place because you're fat on self-assurance. You're currently comfortable. I mean, you have the house, you have the car, you have the wife, you have the kids. Typically, folks who are fat on self-assurance, they're self-made people or the doors have been open and, and it's like they look at themselves and, and, and man, I did it, I made it, I, I, I got it going on. a sense of well-being and a sense of self-assurance which is so dangerous their perceived worth or status has made them impenetrable you know they, they're, 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 they have this blubber around them that, that God they haven't had a season or a moment in so long where they've had to cry out to God and men, I'm going to challenge you right here because there's a lot of men who you are so obese on self-assurance that it is ridiculous. I want to ask you, when was the last time you found yourself on your knees crying out for God to shake you? 
When was the last time you were so desperate that you said, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own anymore. I want to tell you this American-made, self-made thing, that's not from the scriptures. Yes, we're supposed to work, but we're supposed to work in such a way that we are desperate for God to move in our lives. And so are you so self-assured that, man, you're just, you're just sleeping right now, you're on your side, and you think it's all together. God hasn't broken your heart in a while. You think it's all together, but soon enough, there's going to be this time where you begin to stretch, and you're going to find yourself on your back, and you're going to be stuck because of your self-assurance. Proverbs tells us pride or self-assurance goes before the fall. So don't buy the lie that you did it yourself. Don't buy the lie, I got myself where I'm at. Don't buy the lie that this house is all because of my good working because it is God who opened every door in your life. It is God who made your wife attracted to you because look at yourself, bro. It is God who gave you every raise. He gave you favor before your bosses. He gave you favor before the HR department hired you. It is God who did it. And so I I beckon you, I cry of you, don't be fat on self-assurance because it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time before you stretch and you find yourself stuck on your back. there's the group that took a shortcut that led to nowhere like man you're tired and you've been running as I said this this phrase about passive righteousness how it comes from the Talmud the Talmud actually says it, it equates this story of where a traveler comes to a city and he asks a young girl is there a shortcut from this village to that village? And her response is, there is a shortcut that will take you longer, but there is a long way that will take you shorter. In the pursuit of the American dream, in the pursuit of having the perfect family, in the pursuit of having kids who got it together, we tend to take shortcuts that take us the long way around and and we go through the briars and and we go through the thicket and and we are we find ourselves tangled up in such a mess we've been going from place to place and what we tend to do in this shortcut is we say man I'm just so exhausted I'm gonna stop here I'm gonna take a pit stop I'm gonna take a moment to myself maybe you're maybe you're the single lady or the single guy. And, and you say, man, I'm just tired of being alone. God, I want somebody with me. And, and what you found yourself doing is you took a pit stop and, and you, you hung out with this, this person a, a couple different times. And it was fun. And boy, it was fun. It was just, it was so innocent. So you went and you, you did it again. And eventually, one of you had the courage to kiss the other. And and, and it's like you you stop right there and you just go back. But then you go hang out again and and that kiss isn't where it ends. It ends in that, that place. 
and all of a sudden what was a pit stop with a person who that you knew you did not need to be with that, that you knew wasn't right that God hadn't called you to be with you're stuck in a hole right now and you're crying out God rescue me from this I need you to meet me here. Shepherd, I need you to turn me over. You were just tired of being alone and for a moment you had a small indiscretion. Or maybe you're the father here today or the mother said to yourself, I want my kids to have that good life. And so you went and you pursued your career. You gave it all that you had so that your kids could have the house, the car, the clothes. So you sold out to your career. You worked so they didn't have to worry. Man, I've heard this from so many parents. I just, I just go to work. I work, I work 80 to 100 hours a week just so they don't have to worry. My kids want it, they don't have to worry about it. They don't, they don't have to worry about it. They might have known that you loved them, but they never saw you. But today you step back and you wonder, why wasn't I there? Why didn't I make them a priority? Why didn't I make being a mom or a dad a priority? I want to tell you climbing the corporate ladder for the sake of your kids having a few small things will only lead you on your back and you say pastor you don't understand i'll tell you if there's a guy who gets this it's me i spent 110 nights in a hotel last year i get the tension tell you I am okay being broke I tell God if you would take it from me as long as I have my family or maybe today you find yourself in this place where somebody else dug the hole and you're wearing the shame in this hole because they dug the hole that, that, that puts you here and you're on your back because they did something to you. They took advantage of you and, and, and you feel the shame of being fooled or, or being taken of advantage of. I want to tell you we have a shepherd who restores us holistically. We have a shepherd who restores our soul, restores our mind, restores our depression, restores our anxiety, who restores our bank account, who restores our relationship with our parents, who restores our relationship with our kids. We have a good shepherd. And you keep kicking your feet in the hole, going, God, why, why don't you want to do this? 
for many of us, man, we're the sheep that have grazed the same pasture for too long. We've worn out the path to where we have depleted the pasture of its provision. We've been following the same habits, the same tropes, and the same bad advice. And yet we're saying, God, why haven't you met me here? Why haven't you restored me? I want you to hear this. No matter the cause of the sheep being cast down, the shepherd always searches. He's searching today. He's counting his sheep. He says, where are they? And he's coming to the pasture to find you. This is the pageantry depicted in the shepherd leaving the 99 to go find the one. The shepherd has deep concern. He is agonizing over the search. He is longing for the missing one. He is delighted in restoring it back to its feet. The picture of this particular event looks like this from an old shepherd. He said, when I would count the flock and I would know that one was missing, I would run out into the field and I would search high and low and I would find the sheep. And you can't just turn the sheep immediately over onto its feet. You have to gently roll it over on its side and begin to massage the legs and to help circulation return back to the legs. And and, and the shepherd said, you know, I didn't, I didn't come up to the sheep and berate the sheep for being a sheep. And they say, you, you dumb sheep, you did it again. I came up to the sheep and I said, there you go, little buddy. I got you. Taking all the time necessary. Began to work the blood flow back into the leg. And then was slowly take time to put it on its feet and would take the staff that we're going to talk about next week the staff that comforts me and would guide it back home no matter the reason whether you did it yourself or somebody else did it to you the shepherd doesn't care might say, man, this is, this is feely, gooey, gooey, gooey stuff, man. This is real talk, as real as it gets, because there's a lot of us stuck in a field right now with our feet stuck in the air. And I want to beg you, I want to beg you to come to the shepherd. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, I want to ask you, do you know the good shepherd, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? God has taken you the long roundabout way to hear, if not. And he wants
wants to invite you into his flock. He wants to invite you into his fold. He wants you to not just have life, but to have it more abundantly because he is the good shepherd that restores your soul. He restores your life. He restores everything about you. And so today, will you let him tend your life? That's you today. You say, I want to know Jesus. The scriptures are clear that if we would confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Christ died and was raised on the third day, we can be saved. Not by our good acts, not by our righteousness, but through his imputed righteousness. Because as Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says that he made him who knew no sin to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God. What the depiction is happening is he is taking our sins and he is giving us his righteousness. So will you pray right now? Dear Lord, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of running from you. God, I pray today, I pray that you would you, you would be the Lord of my life. God, I give you complete and utter control of my life. Today, Lord, I, I, I desperately need you, God. I, I call out to you. Transform me from the inside out. God, I give you permission to shear me. I give you permission to put me on a diet. God, I give you permission to have control of my life. Just begin to have, have that conversation between you and God, if you have never surrendered to him as the Lord and Savior of your life, right now, begin to pray that prayer. Let him restore your soul. you have prayed that prayer and you say today I will surrender my life today I'm confessing him as the Lord of my life I'm going to ask you to do something more. I'm going to ask you to just pray your just right now you said today I'm surrendering my life I'm confessing him as the Lord of my life I want you, you and me to have a real talk. You can look up at me. You can look up at me. We're about to have a real talk. If you say today, I am cast down. I am in a, I'm in a place that I feel like I'm stuck. I'm going to tell you a story from my life. pastor team will tell you the last six months of the year they were incredibly difficult for me lots of stress at work we planted a church it went okay but circumstances 
how to close it. Talk about a hit to your pride and self-assurance. Boy, was it. My boys, they're going through transitions right now. Every time we feel like we understand Ezekiel's autism, we're presented with new challenges. there's a lot then you take on the fact that it's like everybody was trying to die here all at the same time just hit after hit after hit after hit and it was just like and and our pastor came in and he sat with the pastor team and he he was counseling us and every night I was the one taking him moving him And he just, he looked at me and he said, bro, I'm immensely worried about you. He he said, do you want to quit? I said, yes. I want to walk away. Because of pressure. did not release me from it and I begged God let me go he wouldn't do it so I began to pray and passionately pray to God and say God reveal yourself to me teach me in this moment what am I doing wrong why do I feel this way and it was like as clear as day, God began to open my eyes and say, your face, your time, it is stuck. And this is going to sound so dumb to some of you. You're, you're, you're in social media. You're, you're scrolling. You're just, you're just spending so much time there. Your quiet time, it's a joke. It's just like fast food. You just show up, you read it, and you're out. You're never really spending time with me. And, and then, and then you're, you're, you're coming home every night, and, and you're just sitting on the couch, and you're, you're not invested in your health. You're not invested in what you need to do. And so your mind is distracted away from your family. And I stood back and went, oh my goodness you are so right and so I began to make a plan for him to restore my life I began to wake up an hour earlier than I do every other day. I began to create a new platform, a new routine. I eradicated social media 100% from my life. I can't touch it right now. I eradicated things that I normally do from my life that I eat and I drink. I'm not having them. I'm spending more time with my kids and every day instead of eating at lunch, I'm going to the gym and I am working out all in an effort to restore my soul. And it's been a game changer. And so what I'm I'm trying to convey to you, because this message, man, it is emotional. It is hyper emotional when you start to think about it. And what I want to tell you is, man, it's easy to cry. It's easy to snot sling. That's the easy thing. But God is calling you today to make a plan out of the pit. 
Because if you don't make a new plan, your old habits will take over and you will find yourself with wool as big as Shrek and you will be as fat as a house. So make a plan. Talk to the Lord. Say, God, reveal to me what I need to do to be in communion with you so that you can restore my soul. And so as we get ready to sing this next song, I'm gonna, I want us as a church, I want you to be bold. I want you to be real about where you're at, men. I know you're self-assured. I want you to rebuke yourself. And I want us to, to be at the altar. I want us to be on our face. I want us to seek the will of God so that he can restore our life. Because revival starts here. Let us respond.